Oh my god, I've sneezed into my mask so many times this week. Rob's a big fan of that. I prefer it, honestly. Ew. But like, have you been sick and done it with like actual snot rockets coming out of your nose? No. Ew. Yeah, not a fan. I do like. I don't mind sneezing. I actually like sneezing. From what I've heard, you and I sneeze very similarly. Like your life depended on it? Like, oh, yeah, like sound the alarms. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I, I get that. I relate. All right. Welcome back, folks, to Like Honestly. And today we have a special guest. A super special guest because by now he is Erica's husband. That's cool. That's a title. It's weird. It's right? really weird. It took me you a guys long. Think it's weird. Well, like, it took me a good weird. It, it took me a really long time to get used to fiance. So, well, there was. I want to highlight that first because last year in July, very shortly after we got engaged, we went to like a diabetes meetup with Matt Vandevecht and his wife Lisa. Mm-hmm. And Matt told me then he's like, "Enjoy fiance while you can because it goes away and you don't get it back." Yeah. So you have two weeks left. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was weird, Rob. I saw like your Instagram post yesterday about like you and Erica going for a walk and you were like a walk with my soon to be wife. And I was like, whoa, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be a big wife guy. I'm going to like, you know. I love that. He's already saying it though. Like he already refers to me as his wife sometimes well it's easier and it just really depends on who it is and if i want to talk to them or not so (laughs) or like if you're calling the cable company and you're like listen my girlfriend's gonna be really pissed about this or like my wife's gonna be really pissed about this like adds to the or if you don't adds like more panache if or or it's if you don't want to prolong the conversation, you're just like my wife. Because if you say fiance, then it's like, oh, when are you going to get married? That's exactly why I do it. And yeah. also, very similar to the beginning of this podcast, it's like, okay, am I going to send this person a bio? Because I send a lot of bios. And like in my bio about six months ago, I just updated it to wife because I didn't want to have to go back and on the, or people will be Googling these pages and be like, oh, fiance or oh, girlfriend. No. So now we're all wife, strictly wife. Yeah. No. Keep keep the bitches away. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it is like a warding off thing. Well, future husband, already husband, welcome. I'm excited to be here. We uh you know, obviously we were a podcast family. We we're a content family, so I'm excited to participate. This has been so cool. You guys are I'm very proud of you for getting to episode 10. I don't know what the stats are now, but when I started my podcast, 90% of the podcast on iTunes only had three episodes. <gasps> so you guys are in rare territory. Ooh, that makes me excited. I have like a little weird fangirl thing when you say things like that to us, especially because it like means more coming from you than like, you know, Erica's mom. Like not that Brenda's opinion doesn't matter, but like she's always going to tell us she loves us. So, Well, yeah, and you are best <laughs> friends with Erica. So, you know, I typically don't bl- blow smoke. And you were with us while you were setting this up. Like, I don't suffer fools well. (laughs) Heaven forbid I make a recommendation or have a question. I painted painted some of the house yesterday, and it was a frustrating process. And some of the things I bought didn't quite work exactly the way I wanted it. And the one thing I really didn't want from anyone was feedback. Yeah, so I I was... (laughs) 
he started painting and like within minutes some had like gotten under the little tarp thing um onto the stairs which is like really easy to clean up but you know i immediately was just like um try like and they were trying to make suggestions and i could tell i could tell right off the bat they were not welcome so i was just like you know what i'm just gonna walk away from this and it ended up i will give you credit they ended up looking great i agree thank you i i i was worried i was like was this too much did i bite off too much i was like i feel like i know i've painted things before i know what stuff to buy i thought i took every precaution i bought the tarp i bought the tape and I also was like, well, this is the same color. It's just touch-ups. It's going to be fine. But then they were like, the way the sun was shining through the window, it was casting shadows off of the railings and banisters. So it looked like there were darker spots. And I didn't realize that at first. So I like went back and painted like two more coats over it. <laughs> so the wall looks fantastic. And now. then, and then I was, so I was like sitting there, like really worried that it was going to be a big mess. And then I was the jackass who ended up stepping in some paint and I kept getting little paint paint spatters all over the floor. And I was like, where is this coming from? And then I like looked at my foot. And I was like, I'm just going to not address this. Yeah. Like yeah. don't address it if it's you doing it, but definitely point it out if it's Rob, right? So just kidding, case Rob. in point, the wall got painted. The podcast audio is good and <laughs> neither one of us died or yelled at each other. So all that money to therapy is paying off. Yeah. <laughs> And but but you know we we decided to test the limits a little bit more by bringing him on today. Rob is here. Um, he listens to our podcast. Um, or so he says. I guess today we'll test to see how much he knows and remembers. Um, but but he's gonna give us a little bit of a men's perspective on some of the like honestly topics. I think we all are expecting sex to be the predominant topic because that I think is the the biggest one that like men and women have a different perspective on. Um, but I think there's some other territories that we can bleed into. Yeah. And I want to save sex for like later in the episode so that people are forced to listen. To <laughs> I was just going to say that. I was like, I want to save the juicy part for yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear what you have to say about a lot of what we talk about, but I think my biggest uh, aside from the sex stuff because that's definitely my biggest curiosity from you, but um my biggest curiosity or like how um the question I want to ask is just how you kind of perceive us. I mean, this is asking a very hard question because obviously you perceive us as the best because you have to, <laughs> but like a male's perspective, just a general male's perspective on like two girls talking about things that are a little bit taboo and we're talking about it freely and trying to, um, you know, I don't know, just trying to normalize things, but maybe we're a little bit on the aggressive side compared to most females. So I just want to hear about that. Uh, yeah. So I am a very proud of both of you for operationally working together to get this done. So I know how much effort it takes to schedule. Uh, Erica has done a bang up job on that Instagram uh, <laughs> account. It's, it's beautiful. She's a graphic designer now. <laughs> she's so good. She's so great. Uh, it's quality content. And I think I trust Erica and I don't worry about, you know, when I run for state Senate in 10 years that <laughs> these episodes are going to come up and be like, Erica Kohler said she masturbates. <laughs> it's like, um, 
in that exact voice, you know? Uh, yeah. So I don't think, I don't have no self-consciousness about that. I did immediately listen to the first episode when it dropped just to see if I was going to need to address any damage control that some client or uh, diabetes stakeholder <laughs> learned about our sex life. <laughs> Uh, but I also knew trust Erica again. I come back to that. I'm like, whatever you guys want to talk about, I knew that this wasn't going to be call her daddy levels of cringe, uh, because you two are like very professional grown ass women. Uh, and at the same time, I found it particularly interesting, like to listen to, uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about negotiation. That's not as sexy as the sex talk, but, uh, listening to Mariah, listening to you describe your negotiation tactics as a woman was enlightening for me as a man who is more bull of a bull in a China shop generally, and also is a big puss uh, despite my, you know, incredible good looks and uh, sharp tongue and wit. I, I back off all the time in negotiate negotiating because I just don't want to be disliked. I have a extreme, uh, complex. Know, complex of wanting to be loved. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to, you know, anyway, all that to say, that's sort of a winding answer. This is a podcast. We're going to talk, but I'm very proud of you guys and I support it. And I think where men sometimes get self-conscious or maybe get controlling about what their women in their lives say is they just are afraid that they maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just the lack of trust or maybe it's just they're afraid that they're going to say something embarrassing about them or that someone will think something terrible. And even today, like, as I'm like, is this the podcast where we, Rob Howe admits when he masturbates? <laughs> it uh, is. And and it's like, <laughs> is, is that going to come back to bite me? And I'm like, no, I was, I like, it, that's just normalizing that conversation I think is important for professionals and adults and people who are, you know, being honest and, Radical honesty gets thrown around a lot, and I don't think that this will be radicalized in any way, but we're going to have open conversations, and I've sort of chosen to accept that today. And uh, I also just want to add, and I'm not going to go into it because like, I had a full on like, hour rant about this yesterday where we're in general just talking about... Um, and we kind of started going into this in episode one, but I just feel so very passionate about like sex education and like these conversations may seem frivolous or just like for the sake of a podcast, but I feel like it's so, so important because there are, there's so much misinformation about sex that leads to embarrassment, people not speaking out, holding things close. And then that leads to greater consequence or it can lead to greater consequences down the line when there's no need to be so hush hush and embarrassed about those kinds of things. And if you had asked me what one of the things that Erica and I were going to agree with wholeheartedly together and agree on when we got together. I never would have guessed it would be sex education, but <laughs> uh, you know, we are very passionate about it. I think we came from different ends of a spectrum and that there are a lot of different ways to grow up, obviously, even as like two people of the same uh, race and the same, you know, relative socioeconomic status and the same town uh, effectively same Metroplex. We had a completely night and day different experiences in sex normalized conversations in our lives. So I'm excited to dive into that today as well. Yeah. Um, Rob, you bring up an interesting point just about like growing up. So I think like growing up, you might've been a little bit more on 
like the conservative side. I mean, um, not politically, just like in general, well, like these too. things, these things like weren't talked about as much. So does it, um, is it like shocking to you at all to hear like Erica and I talk about this freely? Or do you think that some men are just like, ew, women still aren't supposed to talk about that? Is that, you know, I, it's hard for me to like judge what other people think because I haven't spoken with people that I grew up with about these types of things in a long time uh, or maybe ever. So just to give you background on how I grew up in Texas, uh, my family was very big on being members of the church. And so all of our social life and, you know, really our like weekly calendar revolved around church things. So we would be at the church in some capacity five days out of seven for the most part. Now, Erica has made comments before. I was like, hearing me say that makes her wonder why I'm not weird because like that to me is like a, such a stark difference from what she knows me as. But the people that I hung out with at church were not weirdos. They're they're cool people. We went to a GEZ concert with one of my, you know, gr- best friends from growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. and we had bottle service in the VIP. I mean, like it, it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, they're normal people. One of, uh, Erica was in an improv class with somebody who grew up with me and mm-hmm. he told her a, a storytelling class and his story wasn't, you know, overtly Christian, you mm-hmm. know, like these people exist in the real world and they're good people. And, Part of that was like, you know, I was just, that was my social circle. And, you know, so when I got to college and maybe I'm skipping ahead too much, but like, for example, people speaking in other languages, like speaking in tongues, which is, is the, is the term was like super normal for me. A prophet would like come to our church, like every quarter and like rain and like, you know, say that God was speaking to them. And like people would call out from the audience, like, like they were you know, speaking on behalf of the Lord and say stuff like, and like dance, like they were at a grateful dead concert, like during praise and worship, like this is normal. This was normal to me. Like I, I didn't know any better. And so, uh, when I, one of the things that my dad and I had a conversation about, um, right before I was like choosing where I wanted to go to school, it was probably like 16 or 17. And it was around like intellectualism within the church. And there was some like, my dad was like an elder, you know, like we were a church family. We were like in the the upper, I don't know. We were one of the church families. Like we were just, my dad taught to Sunday school. My parents had a small group. Like we were, my, we were in the stage productions. One of the reasons I love performing is because my dad, my brother and my sister and I were in, we did a, a Christmas carol. My dad was like a thespian. He's just like a total Renaissance man. So he put those things in our lives and introduced us to music and theater and intellect and study and uh, public speaking and the, all these things are part of our lives. So anyway, this was in the church and in Cedar Hill, Texas in 2000 to 2005, really, that was really the only gig in town from a performance standpoint. Um, and so we wanted to be part of that and our school was attached to the church. So once we were going to school all the time, like um, we were at the church every day and Sorry, this is just a we're just unpacking a lot. But uh, one of the things that was part of that was that like sex outside of marriage was like very much a no no. And even though it happened, like in the gossip circles of church, like you know when young people would 
sleep together or hook up or somebody would get pregnant. Like I had a number of, you know, I wouldn't say like a lot, but there were a few girls that I grew up with who had kids before they were 16. And, you know, I would, I would argue that if they had had our proper sex education and said, instead of saying never, ever, ever have sex, it would be, Hey, we think that sex before marriage is wrong, but if you do have it, you need to be careful and you need to, here are some contraceptives or here's what you need to know about sexually transmitted diseases. But it was a lot like the South Park episode where it's like, if you have sex, your dick will fall off into another dimension and you'll never see it again. (laughs) And, you know, I I could go for hours and hours and hours on all of this kind of strange things to keep kids from doing wrong. But an epiphany that I had when I came back from my, well, so back to the conversation with my dad, he had this disagreement with the, the church's direction on some sort of particular, I don't know, theological point of view. And he, he told me in one of those conversations that you have with your parents, I guess, uh, I don't know how many parents had conversations like this with their dad or with their kids, but it was like, he said, my problem with this aspect is that when you limit the church's ability to question faith and question God, you limit there, if you hide things from them that, that allow them to question it, you ruin some of the like things that he really loved about Christianity and the faith was that you have to look and search and have your own relationship with, you know, this invisible God that you can't see, but you believe is there. And so even when outside information that kind of challenges some of that, he believed that you needed to bring that in. And I guess there was something that they were having this discussion about that they didn't want to be a part of their theology. And he disagreed because he wanted like to, in spite of all this evidence, still believe that God was real. So anyway, so that was kind of, that was that. And at that point, it occurred to me that I wanted to leave Dallas and leave Cedar Hill to go to college, that I wanted to explore and kind of get out of my own bubble. And I didn't, I only really wanted to do that to be a little bit further away from my parents, just so that I could kind of make my own life and also see a part of the country that I had never been to before. But getting outside of that bubble was one of the most impactful, important things that I ever did. And as I look back on that decision, I could not have known how important it was for me to go experience the world outside of the five mile radius that I grew up in. So when I did that and I went to college and I was like, dang, there's nobody speaking in tongues here. Like, oh dang, there's like girls everywhere. And like, you know, first night that my mom left us in the dorm, like there was, we went to a dorm room and we were drinking. And at my high school, if you drank or had sex or smoked cigarettes, like someone would rat you out to the principal's office and you would either get expelled or suspended. It was like point blank. So I never did any of that in high school because I was a golden boy and I was trying to play basketball. And I thought all these things were like, mutually exclusive. Like if I wanted to be good at sports, I couldn't smoke or drink or hang out with people who partied because then I would never make it. And maybe I was right, but I I stayed out of trouble and because I didn't want to be ratted out. So all that to say, when I came back from my sophomore year, there were like three girls in that senior class who were like two years behind me, who I knew and had grown up with who got pregnant. And there were a lot of unplanned pregnancies from girls that I went to high school with that I believe could have been prevented if they had just said, like, we don't want you to have sex, but you're going to do it because you're a person and your hormones are raging. Here's how you do it safely. And here's how you, you know, can better ensure that you don't get pregnant or that you don't get an STD or that you, you know, have a partner that, you know, trusts you and, and, and loves you. And, and this is the right person. 
but they didn't do that. And because of that, there was a lot of, I think, missteps from people, including myself, uh, just about sex. Like it was just because we didn't know any better and nobody told us and kind of had to figure it out on our own. So I don't know, that was a long winded answer, but Erica's nodding. So that's good. (laughs) No, I'm nodding too. I think that that's a good answer. And I think that that speaks a lot to like what Erica and I talked about in episode one is just that like, of course, these conversations are cringy. Of course, every adult is going to be like, well, we don't want you having sex. But like you said, if you can say, well, we don't want you having sex. However, here's the, here's a better way to go about it. And we just talk about it freely and, you know, talk about masturbation. Like, I don't know. I guess we kind of are just jumping right into the sex stuff, but. Well, I do want to skip though, because I, I want to get back to that later. So. Okay. Let's, let's put a pencil in this for now or a pin. A pencil. <laughs> Why is it a pencil? <laughs> That's no, not a phrase. It's not. That's it's not a, a phrase. It's, it's a pin, like P-I-N. Let's put a pin in this and come back to it. A pin. So, uh. <laughs> Let's put a pin, a P-I-N. Uh, let's talk about Twin Peaks because it's tertiarily associated with sex. And I also think a guy's perspective is important. So- and I have forever, for years, had, I have feelings about this. So go ahead. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to start. Ta- tell me about your feelings about my perspective and your perspective on my relationship with you working at Twin Peaks four years ago. I mean, uh, so to to set the stage I guess like Rob has never had any qualms about me working there like not when I brought it up he was like yeah great idea go do it and in fact like I was the one kind of like stalling on it and I because I had I had sat on it for a few weeks like I had the idea and I just really had to like pet myself up and he's like what are you doing go do it and uh so then so that that was nice uh nice it's always nice to have his support on things and to like know that if I'm like having self-doubt or hesitations he's gonna like no just do it and then but then once I was working there it used to really bug me because because he was like so not jealous (laughs) and and I would like tell him like the grossest shit that like men would say to me that things that men would do around me to me um and like and like I, I mentioned this on the other episode I think where some guy offered to be my sugar daddy and I told Rob and he was just like so what'd you say and I was like you dick <laughs> <laughs> and so then um and then I would you know because like my I had friends who would like Sophia and her um now husband like would they came in once not I didn't even ask them to but they came in knowing that I worked there um just to like you know hang and watch a game or whatever and so I didn't think it was that weird where I would just be like Rob like come in come hang out and like bring your friends or whatever I don't care like bring our mutual friends this wasn't like a weird thing to me it wasn't something that I was like embarrassed about and like when I was in uh like when I was like 18 19 I worked at a steakhouse and this is like the equivalent to me of of making my parent I used to make my parents come in and sit in my section so I could practice opening bottles of wine because I couldn't figure out how to work in wine opener (laughs) and so like to me this was like the equivalent of that where I was like just yeah just like come in come hang like be a part of this and he was like very like no (laughs) I will I will not and and so that to me let's start there um because that was always like an irritation point for me and also you're like I have socks in my bra and nobody's here to like love this as much as I do so can you just come (laughs) enjoy the boobs for a second 
Uh, you know, I was home when she came home off shifts, so I got to see the socks. You know, I got to see the prep. Um, so let's back up. So uh, Erica is a lot of things to me, but above all, she is not my property. She, uh, I do not have ownership over her and what she does. So to me, it was a no-brainer that she needed to make extra money. She wanted to make extra money. There was an opportunity for her to do that outside of her current job, uh, which we both worked at at the time. Um, and I was supportive of that because she needed to use the opportunities that she had available to my boobs. Yeah. Her, her boobs. Um, (laughs) and I was like, Hey, maybe she'll, maybe she'll like make so much money. She'll get a boob job. I don't know. It'd be such a good thing. And like, that'll be good for me. Oh, Uh, like that. And so like, that was like, even, you know, uh, underneath it all, like it was like secret hope there, but above all, I was like, uh, and I thought about this, like, uh, and I think it takes a certain kind of guy to date someone who obviously is like a sex worker. Not to say that Twin Peaks is sex work, <laughs> but like you are, uh, you know, if guys who date strippers, guys who date porn stars, guys who are married to people who have OnlyFans accounts or whatever, uh, or Hooters girls or Twin Peaks girls, which is, again, I'm not claiming those are the same thing, but it takes a certain type of person to accept a person who does that. Uh, we were talking about, uh, one of my friends has a podcast. It's a little bit problematic at times. And one of the things they were talking about is, could you date like an Instagram model who like sells her butt pictures for money? And they all said no. And I was like, you know, I think that that's a, not a good take because who are, who am I as, especially at that point, a very non, we were, we love each other now, but that was still very early in our relationship together. And, you know, I wasn't sure that we were going to get married at that point. And so who am I to tell you what you can and can't do? Uh, and so I chose to be supportive. And on the other side, so addressing the second part, I have been to, once when I was in high school, I went to Hooters. Um, once I went to Twin Peaks. You you and I went once. We did. I wanted to go. I, I said this in the last episode and I stand by this. They have good food. And also they sell the not your father's root beer, right. which, and they, they'll put it, they'll like make it like a root beer float. Like frosty mug. Yeah. And so the, I was on a real kick with that for a while. And so I made you go with me because we were like near one. Yeah. All that to say, I don't really love Twin Peaks. It doesn't, it doesn't appeal. The food doesn't appeal to me. Like I've, I think I, I usually go to one back before pre COVID and I don't know, I guess I haven't been to an MMA fight in years, but like, if you want to watch a fight, mm-hmm. um, that would be a time where I would go uh, and it wouldn't really matter to me and or with the boys, but I don't really drink beer. I don't like even Buffalo Wild Wings food doesn't really appeal to me. And does that make me snobby? Probably, but I just don't, I just don't love the experience. And I also like above all, Erica is not my possession. Like I didn't want to be there and be like a shadow hanging over and be, and for her Twin Peaks girlfriends to be like, Oh my God, is that your boyfriend? Is he jealous that there, that you work here? And I just didn't want to like go sit at the bar at Twin Peaks and drink and hang out with her while she worked because I'm the king of compartmentalization and I just wanted her to like exist there and me not have to super be a part of it. While she was working though, I would go up to her apartment and let Rowan out because you would work work in doubles. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, I brought you coffee a couple of times and I dropped it off with the girl at the front because I just, I don't know, people, I have nothing in common with Twin Peaks dudes. I just like, they're, I don't want to hang out with them. They're not my peeps. I didn't want to bring my friends to Twin Peaks while you were working because it was just another weird conversation I didn't want to have. Not that I was hiding that or embarrassed by it, but it just felt like it was more comfortable for me to let you do that and support you 
without being a part of it. So would you, would that still be, would all of that still be your stance today? Like if I was in that same position now that we're like about to be married and I was like, I'm going to go get a side hustle again. I'm going to go work at Twin Peaks. Yeah, I, I would absolutely support that for you. Um, would you feel more I, comfortable telling people now? Like, would you let your yeah. mom know that Erica is working at Twin Peaks? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, you cool. know, my mom is a lot of, my mom is a lot of things, but she's very supportive uh, and she knows and loves Erica. So it, it would be a situation, especially like we, if we needed to do it, we would do whatever it took, you know? And I think um, that's the situation Erica was in. Like, this is my best option to make 10 extra grand that I need for things that I want to do and debts I have to pay. And like, and that was the way she did it. And, you know, I think, you know, let's also like, let's, let's just call it what it is. Erica doesn't like staying up late. She does not like being on her feet. She does not like being dirty or smelly. And she grinded her ass off for six months to, to take some cool trips and to buy some stuff for herself in a very out of her comfort zone situation. And that for me was a new side of her that I had not seen. And I think that was part of me being proud of her as well and supporting her in that. So yes. um, I think that's, that'd be my position now. I'd be more comfortable with it. Uh, I never leave the house now. We have two dogs that make it impossible to go anywhere. So I probably wouldn't go and sit at Twin Peaks for three hours and watch a game. But, um, you know, that I would still be supportive. I still would take her coffee and, uh, and be awake when she gets home. And still not care if people propositioned me yeah i mean i i know that uh i know a lot of things about erica and if you're gross she's gonna tell you that to your face uh but you know if she gets uh, if she has to send some uh booty pics to somebody for a couple extra grand like you know we can talk about it <laughs> yeah i think i think what you just said though about like erica like that was out of her comfort zone and like she just hustled and i mean good for you girlfriend I think though, if you did it with different intentions, like maybe Rob might feel a little bit differently about it. Like if you were just like, yeah, I like the attention that I get from these dudes, but you like went in set with like the goal in mind that you just wanted to make some extra money so that you could go on these badass trips and do this for you. Like that's different than being like. Yeah. And I, and I think he also said something earlier that I think played a lot into it and why it bothered me so much that like he, he, because it was so compartmentalized and nothing like bothered him about it. It bothered me at the time because like he said, he's like, that was like early on in our relationship. It wasn't like super great to be honest. Like we were very like on and off at the time. And, and I felt that there was something, there was always something there that I felt was missing, but like, you know, Girls know what I'm talking about. It's like super hard to articulate, but you can tell that something's not right. And um, so it's super hard to have a conversation about it or to work on it when you can't identify it. But I always felt that at that time in our relationship. And so I think I was looking for some kind of like jealous reaction or something to validate that he felt strongly about me. And I think the the things about those that behavior and that those thoughts that you had had nothing to do with twin peaks and it yeah. i think at the time it seemed like that was a variable that was new that we could because i remember having the discussions we had discussions about this multiple times like this doesn't bother you and i'm like no well and, and like, same thing with like i would 
people like random guys would ask me out at Target and I would tell you and you would just be like, oh, cool. Are you going? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so I also will speak, though, that I think that Rob has not that this is a bad thing, but I think that you have like an abnormal level of self-confidence when it comes to like. Well, no, I think it's a comfort level, though, because I was always very in. I was in on it in on the relationship and like this is what I wanted. And mm-hmm. so I and so I think that was the there's a sense of secure. You well, tell me if I'm wrong. No, but I think now, there's a sense of security. Now I remember one of the discussions that we had is that again it comes kind of back to trust is that I believe really that you were in, that mm-hmm. you chose me and that you wanted to be with me. So I'm not intimidated when other variables come into that because I know at your core, you want to be with me and you have, let's be honest, you had choices. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, this is not the last. Damn right. Yeah. And <laughs> Don't I you forget I, it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think too, uh, that it just comes back to a little bit of a very evolving and, and hard sometimes for alpha male identifying dudes that it's none of our business what women do for money, whether they're selling butt pics and they're making 20 K a month about like some of the stories that you hear now, or they're sex workers, or they're going on podcasts talking about sucking a whole NBA team's dicks. Like, you know, those are extreme examples, but it's not my place to tell them that that's right or wrong. Like I, I'm not in their shoes. Like they saw an opportunity to do something to get some clout, get some fame, make some money. Um, and you know, I, you know, I don't have that. Uh, I don't have the opportunity. So I can't say that like, you know, it, it's wrong of me to sit on the sidelines and thumb my nose at it and say like, Oh, well, if these girls didn't have big tits, they, nobody would care. It's like, maybe that's true, but you know, at the same time you still have to do it. So I, I think there's, that's just a challenging thing for, and you know, you, you mentioned conservative as well is like, when you think of family values, like that's, you know, working at Twin Peaks or, or getting proposition for sugar daddies is not a thing that comes up, but we don't, you know, we live in a modern world where those people exist. And, you know, if somebody has a sugar daddy and works at Twin Peaks and that's the best they can do, um, and they're trying to make a better life for themselves, it's not my business to tell them that's right or wrong, unless like we're in this relationship. Like if you were like, Hey, you know, I have this sugar daddy and he wants to, me to go on dates with them. I would probably, I would have, that would have been on my radar of things like, do we have to do this? Like mm-hmm. this makes I'm uncomfortable by this. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, yeah, it's it's none of my business. I'm, uh, and that doesn't make me a radical feminist. I don't think it just makes me like a person that minds their own goddamn business. Yeah, I think that I'm a little bit even more protective than you. Like if it came down to my relationship or like a guy having an opportunity, like. I'm a jealous ass bitch when it comes to stuff like that. But I think that it's, it, it's very relationship specific. Like I've been in relationships before where I'm like, Oh, does that girl want to fuck you? Cause like that would totally take the heat off of me tonight. If, like, <laughs> if, if you guys like wanted to do that, that's fine. But then I've been in relationships where I'm like, did that girl say thank you too nice to you because I didn't like the way she said thank you to you. <laughs> so I, I have a hard time speaking to this. So I give you a lot of props, Rob, for um, being so open. And I think that like, that's just how we should be. 
um, in the first place. Like, you know, you were like that with Erica, so it didn't make her go out and want to do anything differently. Like she knew that she had security and she had a safe place to come home to, which is like kind of relates back to sex education and stuff. It's like if you talk about it and it's not considered taboo, then like bad things aren't going to happen from it. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. And you know, would I, did I do everything right? Did I, have I, no, I've made mistakes for sure. Um, and even in that, you know, I was like 26 or so, like, I don't, I don't know, like that I really had given it a lot of thought or like had a position on it. But looking back, I'm glad I didn't freak out about, Oh dude, my girl works at Twin Peaks now. Oh, mm-hmm. um, that's how people that freak out talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm glad that it's part of our relationship history together, I think. Um, and again, like it was it was a step out of her comfort zone. I remember when Erica's boss called me into her office and asked if I knew. Um, what? Yeah. Ew. And, and I was like, yeah, duh. Uh, like, and like, what do you want to like, do you have talking points? This is, this, and he was just like, oh. And he was like very uncomfortable that I was comfortable and I think it was probably because he saw Erica as more like a daughter, you know, type relationship, first boss type thing. And it made him uncomfortable that she was working there because he, you know, didn't want her to be subjected to, you know, the things that Twin, Pe- Twin Peaks girls are often subjected to. I was his favorite. That's true. Yeah. He doesn't then, call anymore, though. So I know. Um, and then, <laughs> and it, it was funny, though, also, because there is this woman um, who... Uh, I love very, very much. She's like an OG in the advertising world and she like consulted for the agency that we worked with. And after after she stopped consulting, um, me and a couple other girls would still like get uh, lunch or drinks or whatever with her. And um, <laughs> I remember telling her that I had started working at Twin Peaks and she was like, she was like one part mortified two parts very curious and like was asking me about it and asked me like what our uniforms were and stuff and I showed her a picture and she just you could tell like you could see it in her eyes that and she was just shocked like had no idea what to say and I just I I took a lot a lot of entertainment out of that so yeah I, I think like there is some sort of level of protectiveness that you have to have with your significant other. Um, if I was a father and my daughter wanted to work at Twin Peaks, uh, maybe I would do a lot of things to try to accommodate the lifestyle she was trying to live before I subjected her to that. But also, uh, I think it comes down to something that I really believe, whether it's like sports or uh, you know career or college or whatever. Is it all comes down to what kind of kid do you have? Who is the person? And what's your relationship with them? So, you know, future daughter, if you're listening to this uh, and you want to go work at Twin Peaks and that's really what you want to do, I'm not going to stop you uh, because, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think everybody's different and everybody has their own journey. And um, it's really easy to just opt out of trying to control them uh, and just continue on living your life. Love this. It went from like sex work to a little bit like sentimental i love that (laughs) yeah i mean uh spoiler alert erica and i love each other (laughs) ew Um, (laughs) you guys should get married (laughs) i know um so 
let's shift gears now. Cause like I, I have something in your art of negotiation episode, which mm. I actually, so Mariah, I really like when you teach, you're a good teacher, I would say, especially like over, uh, over audio. Thanks. And so I found it, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And I, one of the reasons that I like podcasts is because I like to learn things. And so I, uh, was immediately drawn to that episode when it was released because I know Erica to be not a good negotiator. So <laughs> I, um, you know, it makes her very uncomfortable and, uh, she obviously is very introverted as well, which is another reason I'm proud of her for doing this podcast. So I want to know, and cause you didn't bring this up really on, on the pod. You did say that you like put your sexy hair on, I think, but <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. Um, and I want to know how often women use uh, women like you, especially both of you are good looking women use the power of good contour and a low cut <laughs> top and maybe some butt, butt jeans, some socks in the bra <laughs> and some socks in the bra, you know, uh, some sort of special smell, good pheromone stuff, whatever to get your way in either in a relationship or just like in a you know typical transaction. And I'll, and I'm going to tell you a quick story and I've never told, uh, Erica this story. It's, it's not going to shock her, but it's just, it's a very, uh, this is the tale that the context that I'm giving you guys. So when I was 22, my, I worked, uh, as an intern for the USA karate, USA karate, and we did the national championships, uh, the USA karate national championships. And it was in Las Vegas. It was 12 days in Las Vegas, um, at Caesars, which I was there for every day of, and it was me and another intern. And my other intern's name was Rachel. And Rachel was very attractive. And I think my boss hired her <laughs> to pair her so that I, cause he and I just hit it off straight from the, right off the bat. I think he hired her over a couple other people just because he's like, you know what? This would be a fun person for Rob to work with. <laughs> and like maybe, you know, it was just like, okay, cool. It was like fun. a solid, fun, a fun yeah. person. <laughs> anyway, Rachel dated uh, a guy who named Demetrius at the time who was, a basketball player in the Colorado Springs community who I knew we weren't boys, but we were homies and we see each other. So like there was no, I was never like, I knew who she was and was not going to make a pass at her. Also, we had no chemistry, like none. And I, and I, as you know, Mariah, I am a very external. I try to connect with people right off the bat. I try to be very like, you know, go out of my way to connect with people. And so when I can't do that, I often, I used to judge myself and now I know that it's not me. It's the other person. So now I know that Rachel just, you know, didn't really have a personality. <laughs> so, okay. So this is, the, I know I'm not, I'm not doing her a lot of favors anyway. So we spend 12 days together in Vegas. Like we even get to go to like, we got moved up the line to the VIP of this like club, you know, we're, you know, we're, uh, the whole staff's drinking still no chemistry this whole time. The last night of the, event me and uh shout out my boy doug uh from colorado Springs sports corp we spent eight hours from 10 p.m after like taking vegas bombs mind you went back to the event floor and packed up our minivan because i came up with the brilliant idea that we could save 10 grand if rachel and i just drove a minivan full of all of the supplies from colorado springs to las vegas because i had made the drive before with my roommates and it wasn't that bad. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see it. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I heard it. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, we pack it up from 10 a 10 PM to 6 AM when, and I told Rachel, Hey, you get some sleep. You're going to drive the first leg. And so I like didn't sleep. I'm sleeping in the passenger seat. I'm waking up intermittently. I wake up. We're in Utah 
and she's going like 90 in a 65 on cruise control, just like, you know, all, all driving safe, but she's going fast. We come over this hill, cop buzzes us. Uh, and you know, we've been in the car. We've stopped at least, at least one time at this point for gas. Um, we're in BFE, Utah and, uh, this beautiful kind of like little town and this cop, she goes, and the cop pulls us over. We pull over. We were going 90 in a 65. Like, you know, this is a hefty ticket. We're working. And Rachel goes, looks, turns around and looks at me. And for the first time, just like locks and we have this chemistry and she goes, watch this. And she fluffs her hair back, adjusts her boobs, like, you know, gets herself ready, rolls down the window and blinks her eyelashes and absolutely charms the shit out of this old timey cop. He was probably in his sixties. He had the big hat, Utah mm-hmm. state trooper, really kind guy. And she was like, I'm sorry, officer. Was I going too fast? And she go, and she absolutely talked us out of every, all we got was a warning. And I looked at her and I hate with the most hate and disdain. She got us out of that ticket. Cause I, at the time drove this orange car way too fast and had like nine speeding tickets in Colorado. They track points. If I had gotten one more ticket, I would have gotten my license taken away. So at this point I was like very bitter about her ability to talk out of tickets. So anyway, that was like the only example that I had of a woman who really didn't like, you know, wasn't super externally outgoing, but was very pretty. And she used her powers for evil in that, (laughs) in that time. And I was like, wow, we are really powerless to a pretty face. So, okay. That's my story. And big boobs. Um, okay. Hold on. I want to, I liked your story and I want to rewind because you dropped some good smelling pheromones in there so that Erica, he's so far past the test that he's listening listening. To yeah, he's listening to some episodes. So <laughs> thanks, Rob. Great. I and I am listening. I would say I probably <laughs> listened to like uh, if I took if you gave me like a test, a comprehensive test, I would pass that test with a seventy or higher. Would I get a hundred? Probably not, but I could pass it. You guys should know that Rob's love language is test quizzes, anything where Rob can win. <laughs> Achievement. I am an achiever. <laughs> I was, anyway, but the valedictorian society of America requires me to tell everyone that I was the high school valedictorian. Yeah. 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 Otherwise let's, no one will know. Let's let Mariah, <laughs> let's let Mariah talk on her own podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's that I've given you the setup now. Take me through it. Oh, I've set you up. Thanks. Okay. So, okay. Personally, I don't super believe in, I mean, not to say that I'm above it, But like if I get pulled over for speeding and like just what I'm like averagely doing, like my natural charm, like I'm not going to reach in my bra and like pull my tits up and try to like use sex to get me out of something. But like I am fairly naturally charming. So if that gets me out of it, fine. But I don't super believe in like using your – like intentionally going out of your way to use your good looks or something to get what you want. However, does that mean that like when I was buying my car, did I show up like not, or did I get ready in the morning not thinking about that? Like, of course I thought about it. And, you know, I might've put like eyeshadow on when most days I wouldn't wear eyeshadow. Like I would just wear mascara, you know? So I do think that you think about that, but that's something that I think in general, like if you look good, or if you look like you put some thought into getting ready, like you're just going to be better perceived in general, like male or female. A, 
That's a study, right? That attractive people are perceived to be more honest and like, you know, just get what they want more often. I call it the Deion Sanders effect. Look good, feel good, baby. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's like a thing. And to that, it gives you more confidence. So like Mm -hmm. if I'm sitting there, you know, in like a sweatshirt, a a hoodie or something, and I'm trying to negotiate, am I going to feel as confident in my negotiation skills versus if I wear, you know, something that's maybe a little bit more expensive or like designer, then I'm going to feel a little bit better than I'm going to feel a little bit more confident than I would if I was just wearing what I I have. I have a counterpoint and I think this is just like the kind of the kind of gal that I am. So when I was in college, you have like there's like two kinds of drinking nights. There's the nights where you um, you know in advance this is a going out night. I am getting dressed up. I'm spending hours picking out my outfit. I may have went and bought a new outfit. I'm doing my hair, doing my makeup, like getting ready with the girls, like the whole shebang, right? You have a night planned. Then there are the nights where it's Thursday or Wednesday. I just got out of class at four. My friends were already over at Chimmy's. I walked across the street. I'm still wearing my oversized frat shirt and my Nike shorts and my sneakers. And I planned on going and having one drink and going home. But guess what? It's 2 a.m. and I'm fucking trashed. Those nights, though, those nights where I because I did my makeup. I'm the type of girl I do not not now, but it until COVID, I did my makeup every single day. Not because I like, I'm uncomfortable with my face not having makeup on, but just because I like it. And so those nights though, where I was out in just like a t-shirt and a sports bra and some Nike shorts, I felt like my most comfortable selves and the self. And that is the night that I always got hit on the most. Because I think I think it's the same principle as what you're saying is that like whatever you feel like most confident in is like that's the energy you're bringing to the table. But it just yeah, for me, it was just different. I think that's a different situation, though, than like um, negotiating something where you're trying to like like you went out not caring what happened. And then like people see Mm -hmm. you and they're like, oh, she looks approachable. Whereas like negotiating for a car, I know that there's going to be an interaction Mm. regardless. So I want to look good for it. I want to show up for it. But I think there's a line too, right? Because if you look too ready, they're not going to take you seriously. Right. Yeah. You don't want to be Moira Rose. You don't want to be Moira Rose going in and like it's in an entire character. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Don't do that. But then also um, that can show that like if you go in super dolled up and like wearing every single designer piece of something that you own and then you're asking for them to take money off of something they're gonna be like oh did you negotiate for that Louis Vuitton like Mm -hmm. what else you know what else I don't know it's just giving off a different there's a fine line of like looking good using your natural assets to your uh, advantage. And then there's like crossing that and doing being like making it too showy. And obviously I don't have like negotiating experience in the way that like we're talking about, but I think there are other situations that are maybe more subtle, um, where I don't think I can't like recall many times where I may have used my looks purposefully to get my way. 
Um, but one that I can remember, and this was also because I was trashed and like just had the balls to do it, was when um so Rob it was when the night that we went out to Kung Fu and I was in your friend My friend Nicole was in town. Was it? And like you had and I rode separately, like with your other friend. My friend Philip. Yeah. And so he wasn't dressed. So there's like a bar here. They have like these quote unquote rule like dress codes for guys that are like very wishy washy and it's like low key racist. But we um anyway, we went we were going there and there was a a line. And then also his friend didn't have the appropriate attire on. And he, you know, he had like, he was wearing like Jordan slides or something. Yeah. Like, and you had to have like shoes on and no hat. And I think he had a hat on, but anyway, so, but I was with him and that was just like one of, and I was like dressed up to go out. And that was like one of those moments where I just with like every bit of confidence that I never would have had sober was just like, Oh, we're I'm going in there. He's with me. Thanks. Bye. And just like push us through. And like they tried to stop him to like to not let him in. I was like, no, he's coming. And and they, they let him in. Let me just give you an idea of some of the other things that Erica did that night. Just so oh, you know okay. how plastered she has to be to behave this way. Yeah, hey, it's not me. Philip will never forget that. And he like still talks about it. Every time I see him, he's like, Yeah, how's your girl? She helped me out. So um <laughs> That night, Erica also told my friend Drew that she was 35. I was 25. <laughs> maybe younger at the time. Yeah. This was like 2014. And <laughs> we have and this so, on, on deck for another episode, so I can't wait to okay. get into that. So I don't yeah. I don't want to spoil it, but like he was like, Oh wow, cool. Like Rob's dating an older girl. That's uh, cool. You know, she seems really chill. <laughs> <laughs> and then she also like nose tackled a grown man. Um, what? Like in like Kung Fu was like shoulder to shoulder, very busy. And she just took such a hard step. And this guy, this guy like kind of stepped in, maybe was off balance, didn't see. And Erica's shoulder hit him in the chest and his body like fell like a sack of potatoes. Like she speared like just nose form tackle. I still remember like there was a movie where the rock is like a football coach. It's called Gridiron Gang. Terrible movie. But he talks about upper body violence in it. He's like, you know, use upper body violence on your tackle. That's what she did. She like stuck this guy to the ground and her phone went flying. And this girl found it and was like, text, like there was no passwords on phones back then. Or you, you didn't, I didn't have use one. Them. Yeah. And she was like, she texted me. I was the last person that you had texted. She's like, hey, I have this person's phone. Come find me. I'm at Kung Fu. And so I found her. And then like, I was like, where's Erica? I have her phone now. So anyway, it was a, a wild night. Um, okay. So anyway, so then, so there's, so then there's like that kind of instance, but then I also think, so I, I think there is also a, I have an awareness, even if I don't use my looks to my advantage, I think women still have an awareness of when your looks are being, are are an influence in a situation. Oh yeah. And, and so like another example of that is, um, you know, going back to like getting pulled over last year was our 10 year high school reunion. Um, or it was my 10 year high school reunion. My friend came with me. She rode out there with me. Um, we both live in Dallas, but it was, uh, like, the reunion was 45 minutes north. So we were driving out there. I did have, a, I had a couple of glasses of wine over like four hours, but you know, I was driving. And so 
didn't drink that much and stopped like hours before we had to drive back. Well, my friend got like really drunk and we were coming back and I was speeding um, on the tollway and I got pulled over and the cop was like young. He was like um, maybe a year or t- yeah, I think he was like a year older than me because he pulled me over. He asked me like where we were coming from. Um, I was like trying to like stay real low key. I was like <laughs> real annoyed. Abby, my friend, Abby, sorry, Abby didn't mean to call you. I wasn't going to, but here you go. You so well, you were like my friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so <laughs> Abby was drunk and she was just like, Oh yeah. High school reunion. And he was like, Oh fun. I was like, no, nope, we're not. This isn't fun. But I was like really not happy about having a 10 year high school reunion. And um, so then he started laughing and then he was like, have you guys been drinking? And she, Abby was like, yeah, like she had some wine, but don't worry. She's fine. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and so then because she said that he had to give me a sobriety test and this whole and I was like, so I inherited this from my mom. I was so uncomfortable I was laughing like while he was like <laughs> do it doing the test and stuff but he had a smirk on his face as well like like we I think we both understood like this is for posterity but it's fine and then um and then he gave me a warning no big deal I was on my way I got home and I looked at the ticket and like every piece of information on there was incorrect and I'm convinced that he did that so that it like wouldn't show up on my shit. I was out of town when that happened. So I think I was in California. Mm. I think because it was September, right? Late September. I think I was in California shooting the Myabetic Bachelor where I played Chris Harrison. And Maybe. so I texted her when I got done at like 10 o'clock at night or something. So I was like midnight. And I usually she's asleep, but I knew she was going out. And, and she was like, yeah, about to drive home. And then I get a text like an hour and a half later. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> and I think like that was the only time I was like, oh shit. Like I'm, I was actually genuinely worried about not being there. Yeah. Then- but he, you could, you could just tell there was like nothing overt that was like flirtatious or like sexual about it, but you could just tell by the energy and like the interaction, the banter and stuff that he, that it was like. I think it was a combination of like, oh, these two girls are cute. They were around the same age. Um, and also probably a little bit of like, okay, you are taking like you're obviously doing the responsible thing. Like at least it's not your friend that's driving and like you guys are handling this the right way. I'm gonna let you go on this. <laughs> so without I wanna talk about sex in a second, but without going too far into like cops and stuff. Um, obviously I was once married to one and he happens to be an incredible police officer, um, who was very, like, very followed the rules and whatever, but he would come home and like, tell me stuff about like, oh yeah, this girl tried flirting with me or like this girl (laughs) tried like using her boobs to get out of a ticket. And he's like, that just made me want to write her a ticket even more. Like it Mm -hmm. is so gross when you obnoxiously go out of your way to do it. So like, well, of course he's going to say that to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I truly, I do think that that's probably how it happened. I've seen like this, there's like a viral video too of like this cop pulls a girl over and she's like, but officer, I thought that you don't give tickets to pretty girls. And he's like, we don't sign on the line. (laughs) 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 So I think though, like with anything, if you're trying to use your looks, um, 
to get you something, the more obnoxious you do it, the less like it's not perceived as well. Whereas if you do it like subtly and then there's kind of like Erica, how you said that there was like a mutual smirk, like there's like a mutual understanding of like, this is what's happening, but you're not like, you know, bending over and being like, oops, did you see up my dress? It's (laughs) not like so obvious. Then I think that there's like a higher level of respect. Agree. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, this is, we told people we were going to keep the sex to the end and here we are. We've finally we arrived. Are. <sighs> Here's the good stuff, guys. All right. Who's going to, who's going to start? Um, okay. Rob, when do you masturbate? <laughs> uh, okay. Well, so I'll give you context to this. So after listening to that episode, that was one of my questions to Erica. She was like, Hey, what do you think of the podcast? And I was like, I thought it was good. I thought you guys had great conversations without really going over the line. It's obviously like, other than Erica's, every other word is an F word. Uh, the, the the podcast is pretty accessible for all ages. It's not like really adult conversation. It's just like really honest, like, hey, we're, you know, adults and women and we masturbate. <laughs> So my question was like, I've lived with Erica and this is the insight. Like I've not only lived with Erica for over three years, we've also been living in the same space, like mostly in a two bedroom apartment for like six months. So, you know, I feel like, you know, my, and I'm there now more often than I have ever been. And I feel as like, I don't see you like disappear for a while to like, go, you know, get off. And, uh, and also like, I know you're not waking up before me or, or staying up later than me because you know, that's just, you know, not happening. So I was like, okay, well, when does this happen? And so that was my question to her. And then her question to me was, well, when does it happen for you? And I was like, well, you know, I don't have like a schedule, but every now and then. So I, and again, now I'll back up again. I was thinking of the purpose of all of this, which is to normalize conversations about real human things. And so I went back to what's the best pop culture moment about (laughs) masturbation that's universally accepted, critically accepted as great, but is also about jerking off. And I thought of the Matthew McConaughey scene in Wolf of Wall Street, where he's like, "Mm Yeah, right. Everybody remembers that. But what he talks about in that scene, and he talks about there's two things to succeeding in being a stockbroker. The first is jerking off. And he's like, you know, we got all these numbers and you got to keep, you know, you got to feed the geese and then you got to keep the circulation below the waist. You know, up here, it's all, you know, it's all scientific and chemical and acidic. And he's like, and so he talks about that he jerks off. He's like, I don't do it because I want. He's like, I do it. He's like, I want to. I do it because I have to. And so <laughs> I thought about that. Um, and the the other piece for me is like, I don't, you know, I don't do it at the same time all the time, but occasionally I'll be worked up. And I think for me, I also process stressful situations a way that I like ground myself is in sex. So I don't know where that came from. It's probably an athlete thing. Uh, I wrap a lot of self-worth up in, we've talked to my therapist a lot about being good at sex and like being sexy and like being wanted, blah, blah, blah. And so sometimes I'll just, something will like set, whatever it is sets me off and I'll just like be on 
the the railroad to horny town and <laughs> and so and now also like i work from home so like there's like nothing stopping like you know uh there's no like i'm not at the office i'm not working in a public place like i could just go knock one out <laughs> um so i don't know some uh the answer to that is sometimes it's like if i have to shower in the middle of the day if like i haven't showered in the morning and i got like a little break and i just have to go get it done uh, that's probably a time where it'll happen, but my rule is, and so I've built this rule and I didn't come up with this. I have to credit Tim Ferriss for this. And he's, uh, a lot of my rules in my life have come from his podcast and guests that he's had on, but he talked about, and like very like minimally, he hasn't like, I haven't listened or consumed a bunch of content about this, but one of his tools for entrepreneurs is to understand that jerking off is going to get in the way of you doing what you want to do, like, uh, in your productivity, it's going to be an obstacle. And so rather than just deny that he and I, as a result, just fucking do it, just commit to it. Like if it's, if it's clear that like I'm on this path where I'm not going to be able to refocus on what I was focusing on before. And I have stuff that I've got to get done or want to get done and this is in, in the way I can solve this problem real quick. There's no reason to, there's no reason to drag it out. There's no reason to, and it's like, if Erica is not in the mood or is not available, uh, that's not an option. So I got to take care of this, uh, the old fashioned way. And so, yeah, you just gotta just pop one off. And I think that's where <laughs> I, you know, I was like, yeah, is this the, po-? I asked Erica yesterday, I was like, is this a podcast where we talk about Rob how masturbating? And it's like, yeah, I guess it is, but you know, it doesn't have to be compulsive. Uh, I am not like Matthew McConaughey's character. I do not have to masturbate twice a day uh, to get to to be my most productive self. But it is a question on my whoop strap. And one of the guys I play golf with, it's a question on his. And we were joking with each other about like when it gives you the whoop strap gives you the insights. Like after reporting masturbation, you've seen a 10% increase in your deep sleep. It's like, see, babe, I've got a case. I'm making a case for this, uh, for, you know, feeding the geese. That's a thing. So um, my work as an occupational therapist is very much based on what we call ADLs, activities of daily living. And masturbation actually falls under an ADL. So it's something that I have often run into with like clients or specifically when I worked at the hospital. Um, How do we help you okay, not help you. Like I wasn't helping anybody do this. <laughs> okay, Mariah. <laughs> uh, sure 10, <laughs> 10 bucks per minute. Um, <laughs> how, like, but like, how do we help you to achieve that? So there's, there is science behind masturbation and that it's important or not necessarily masturbation itself, but just sex in general. And that sex is important in releasing um, hormones that make us feel good and, yeah. So Yeah, I think that's probably like and my therapist and I could dig into this even more, but that's one of the like when things are feeling chaotic around me or stressful or out of control, that it those my body craves those mm-hmm. sex hormones and that like serotonin and yep. dopamine and um and all that stuff from my brain because I just need that boost and that and sex gives me gives me that. Um and so sometimes too, like even on like a funnier note, like everybody is familiar with everybody who's an adult is familiar with the concept of nut clarity. Like you're never more, you never see things clearer than right after you bust one. <laughs> uh, and you know, sometimes that's, that's really bad. Uh, like when you're, you know, 
hammered at a bar and you end up going home with somebody and you look at them afterwards and you're like, Oh, um, and sometimes it's really good. Like, Oh man, I was really in a creative rut today and I had a bunch of cobwebs and now I cleared them out and I can sit down here Ew. at my desk for an hour and get my shit done. You know, like, uh, Clear I, now that's no longer webs. a problem. Yeah. I'm picturing when you are running for Senate in like 10 years from now and <laughs> you like, you're doing your speech and somebody's or you're like, you know, I have never had a more clear thought than now. And like, there's the little like female journalists that listen to our podcast and they're like, that's not clarity. <laughs> yeah. I got that post, not clarity. That is, uh, <laughs> you know, if there's something to it, it's scientific. It really is though. That's, that's a thing. And I think that, um, masturbation should be, um, I mean, are we calling it masturbation or are we just calling it like getting off? Cause we, we quickly went from like masturbation to like nothing. So I well, call I, it getting the, off. The terminology, <laughs> I think it all means the same thing. Masturbation, I think is the scientific term. And I think, you know, ultimately like you're doing it to yourself, I think is where the, uh, or, you know, with assistance from something you're using yourself. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were talking about last night as well, just while we're in the same universe, uh, the story of Aubrey Marcus and On It. The Aubrey Marcus is the founder of On It. He's like a podcaster and influencer and relationship guru. He worked, his first like real job was for Fleshlight, and which is a male sex toy that's like a pocket pussy. Um, and they were having a tough time selling and he listened to Joe Rogan's podcast way back in the day. This is probably 15 years ago. And they were the first advertiser on Joe Rogan's podcast. And that solidified their business. It like, uh, it was the anchor point of their business having Joe Rogan sell sex toys via his podcast ads because somebody that they trusted Joe Rogan talking about jerking off like, and the, the ads were funny too, because Joe Rogan's a comedian and obviously a very talented guy. But, uh, I just thought of that as like, you know, it's so taboo until it isn't. Mm -hmm. And until people that you know and respect, I would love to hear uh, Obama go on and be like, you know what? Sometimes I uh, head out in the Oval Office and uh, you know, just got to you know, <laughs> drop drop a couple bombs. Um, you know, uh, the uh, like those those types of things, I think, are they're just important. And also, you know, back to the sex ed thing, I think this really frames up the conversation I remember, you know, in eighth grade, my dad uh, going through my browser history on my computer Ooh. and finding some stuff. Um, and the conversation that he had with me it was adorable, but it wasn't like, hey, dude, sometimes you just got to, you know, let loose and just like, that's it. Uh, don't let your mom catch you. He did say, don't let your mom catch you. But um, <laughs> he said that uh, his perspective was that pornography can ruin your relationship with real women. And that he had seen a lot of people that he had known in his life, um, you know, get caught up in the women that they see in magazines or in tapes and giving unfair body image is really what he was talking about. But he was saying that pornography can ruin your relationship with real, real women because it's not real. Um, wow, that's great. And it was it was great. But also and I remember that. But also it, but was it pretty still happened to you. Not in not from like porn, but you I topic for another day but i still think that you still had very unrealistic expectations oh, of for sure of women and what your relationship should be like etc cetera, etc cetera. of course and yeah I mean, we can talk about that another day and i think it, that's more of just like not really knowing anything you know? yeah and i think part of growing up is just embracing what you don't know and sometimes you come to it a little bit later than others but 
And I think another, that'll be a good one. Uh, I was talking with a guy playing golf today about he and his wife got married 12 years ago. Um, and he's like a little bit older than I am. And they met each other when they were in seventh grade. He's like, you know, I'm, he's like, I just thank God that I met the person for me so early. So I didn't have to worry. He's like, I have friends who are in their thirties and are really struggling dating. They're normal guys, stable jobs, good looking, but they can't, they can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that too. And I was, you know, uh, with you, but yeah, I did fall into that unrealistic beauty expectations, unrealistic motherhood expectations, unrealistic timelines, just because I didn't have any, you know, the only thing I had was to compare it to was my own spending a lot of time in my own head formed by mass media, formed mm -hmm. by social media, formed by movie relationships that are not real. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just have to sort of feel your way into it and learn it. But the end of the conversation that I had with my dad, I did feel a lot of shame around getting caught. It didn't stop me from doing it, but it formed other behaviors that um, later in my life, you know, I continued to do like hiding things and, uh, you know, clearing my browser history so my dad wouldn't find stuff. Or, you know, he asked me about it months later. And besides going beat red and feeling like I was going to die, <laughs> um, I was like, no, I denied it and I hid it. And it was, wasn't something that I thought, it was something that I thought was wrong. And I felt shame about, uh, and you know, I, I, that was one of the things, even getting a little bit of anxiety coming into this conversation, being like, there's going to be me on the internet talking and admitting that some days in the middle of the day, I just go jerk off. And I felt a little bit of shame around that, but I was like, you know, maybe somebody somewhere like it is not for everywhere. Let's be clear. Do not jerk off at your place of work. Yeah. That's gross. Like, don't be a fucking idiot. Um, don't go to like, a playground. Oh, yeah, God. don't yeah, ugh, <laughs> don't do it in your car. Yeah, like, use don't, use like anything. Use good judgment. Yeah, use good judgment. Be a good human above all. But in the right environment, jerking yourself off, getting yourself off is not wrong. And in a lot of times, will that some of that post nut clarity will prevent you from doing things that are actually wrong or bad mistakes that you'll make with people or emotionally abusing things that you're doing to yourself. Uh, just, you know, deciding to commit to it instead of like, you know, hem hawing over it for hours and making mistakes or saying things to people that you don't mean because you're trying to get off, go rub one out and get yourself a little bit of clarity. Also, I want to take this in a slightly different direction just for, and I'm, I don't even think this applies to men really. I, I could be wrong, but like from personal experience, I feel like, um, there are so many other influences that impact a woman's ability to like be in the mood, mm -hmm. I guess. And so for me and like, for me, like stress is a big one um, because like, you know, like it's so mental, uh, like both of those things, like being in the mood and like stress is both super mental. And I am like a fixator um, on things like when they're bothering me, but anyway, I'll, but all that to say, so I find that like, if I am, in the mood and I don't act on it, then I can, I can, or let me, let me actually reverse this. If I am in the mood and I act on it, I tend to build momentum where like I can kind of get in the rhythm of like being in the mood more often mm -hmm. versus if I ignore it, then I can go into, I could like go weeks without like not being in the mood at all Same. just no, because I'm, there's I'm other, there's much. other things that are on my mind. And I've like, I've leaned into those instead of the other thing. 
Well, it's interesting because then you come back to like, and we've talked about this in our therapy, like, like you said, you personally can go weeks without being in the mood. And that honestly has nothing to do with me Mm -mm. most of the time. And that's a weird thing as a guy, especially one who is an achiever and loves the spotlight and loves being adored by millions of fans worldwide. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, it's hard when your partner isn't in the mood for you and I, you know, you feel bad about it. Yeah. But most of the time there's so like, it's stress. I have headaches like a lot. I, my headaches often more times than not lead me, lead me to feeling nauseous and like, or, and like I have a hard time sleeping. So I'm exhausted. Like there's so many things that I'm also trying to balance and like fix in my life, in my life that it, it, that also becomes frustrating for me where I'm like, this is not about you right now. Like this is about me. Yeah. And I think it's, it really takes the, you have to be able to talk about that. And I think I'm glad that we are in a place in our relationship where we can talk, not only talk about it on podcasts, but we can talk to each other about Hey, I I know you're in the mood and you want to have sex, and it's like for me, I, it felt like rejection sometimes, or that, you know, you can inter- I can internalize stuff really easily of like, oh, what is it about me that is unable to turn Erica on right now? And it took a long time and a lot of conversations for me to understand that it isn't about me, and the feedback that I'm giving you is secondary to the ones that you're getting from yourself and the way that you feel. Because as you know, even in like simple things like sleep, I can go to sleep right now on the floor in this broad daylight and sleep for six hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you cannot. And same thing with sex is like, it's pretty easy to talk me into sex. (laughs) And Um, like to that same, same note, it's like, there are also times where like I might feel bad, but I'm also horny. And so it's just easier for me to get myself off because like the thought of like, because it's sex is a lot of work for a woman. Sex is complicated. And we talk about this a lot in I think episode one, but also episode our sex toy episode. We talk about this a lot that it's just so different. And like, so sometimes it's just like, oh my God, I know how to do this and it needs to happen in like the next two minutes and I know how to do it exactly right and uh-huh. then I'll be able to give you my full attention. Well, yep. let, then then let me give you a little bit of male perspective on on that. Just like as a understanding context of sex education by groupthink and by environment. Because, because of the lack of formal edu- sex education in the school systems, in Texas, for example, there is no barometer of what you're required to teach mm-hmm. legally. You you have like two or three things. I never had proper sex education in my high school. Uh, I went to a Christian school, so there's a little bit there. But like in health class, we talked about parts, but we never talked about how they work mm-hmm. or why they are the way they are. And uh, or that, you know, all parts are normal, uh, you know. And so where I got a lot of my relationship with sex is from my teammates, my old, like, so when I was in high school and I was a younger, I played varsity from the time I was a freshman all the way up. So I had teammates that were 18 and sexual, you know, sexually active as much as 18 year olds are. There's a big difference between learning about like that you're sexually active when you're 14 and your 18 year old teammate who is having sex with his girlfriend every day. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. like there's a, that's a big gap to cover. So you learn a lot from those guys. And I had some guys who 
took me under their wing early and were like, Hey, this is my job as a vet on this team to teach you about these things, Mm -hmm. but they're not qualified and they may not know. (laughs) So, you know, there's a lot of comparison. Like just imagine every guy you've ever met, uh, is extreme has been comparing himself in his mind, even without any other, like imagine like any other proof or like, you know, exposure even to wondering if he has a bigger dick than everybody other guy in his room and is assigning himself self-worth based on that. And then apply that same principle to, oh, I am not as good at sex as this guy says he is. Cause he's like, oh yeah, we were going all night and we were, you know, four or five times and like, oh, you know, or I, you know, I, it was two hours and I couldn't come or whatever. And it's like, look, that's never happened to me. Am I normal? Like, <laughs> shit, I'm like five, six minutes in most times. And like, that's good. It's like, am I good at sex? It seems like I am the girls like, but you never talk about it with the girls mm-hmm. and you just assume, you know, also you think like, oh, well, you know, if you're performing oral sex or, or, you know, um, you know, finger sex or whatever <laughs> with your partner, I was trying to think of like, Techn- the, whatever technically the, speaking, if, you technical banging. if you're finger blasting, um, <laughs> then like, then you're less than, then like you, your dick must not work the same as everybody else's Mm-mm. because you have to do extra stuff. So again, like this is the sort of group think and like learning by osmosis and by community and by experience that most guys, my, at least in my experience that were immediate in my immediate circle, that's how they learn. And so, you know, and it's even harder when you like, as you go to college, you got guys, when I was 18, we had three guys on my team that were over the age of 25. Like there's a lot, you learn a lot between those times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a different, um, you know, again, and like, I think when you have good male relationships in your life where you have that ability to be like, Hey, you know, this is a safe place. I'm going to tell you this. And like, you know, you may not know this, but, or I heard you say this and here's what I can tell you from my experience. Like those are really valuable, but they don't happen all the time. Yeah. And so then you can get in situations also where you're going into a new group of guys and you don't know what the culture's like there, you know? Uh, and it's, it's very different everywhere. So, um, so I want to hear Mariah's perspective on all of this. (laughs) Well, I think the things that Rob, that you brought up about, like, you know, you men in general kind of like constantly compare themselves from like a performance standpoint or from a size standpoint. Like it's so funny to me because I think that I speak for most women when I say that like those things aren't as important to us, which is funny because it's the things that the guy obsesses over. Like, you know, do we want a micro penis? Like probably not, but do we like, can we accomplish the same thing with like a below than, or like a, you know, less than average or larger than average? Yeah. Like that stuff, I don't think really matters. It's truly like size does not matter. It's how you use it is. That's the same thing for me anyways, with like time. Like, I don't care if it takes you two minutes. I'm probably going to be more upset if it takes you two hours because by Uh then I'm like super fucking checked out. There's yeah. no chance of me coming like, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think that it's like way more about like just showing your partner that you care. So like, I don't think that you're less than for doing oral or like for finger blasting. Like, I think that that makes you greater than because you're showing that you care about me even after your two minutes show is done. 
An orgasm's an orgasm. Or before your two-minute show's done, like, get me off first and then go to Poundtown for 30 seconds. Great. Yeah. Well, and I think it's just like, you know, for me, uh, being very immersed in hip-hop culture and loving hip-hop and, uh, you know, being a type A, uh, you know, prima donna athlete, uh, Mr. Big Man on campus, like, you just have these expectations for yourself, even that are just put on by no, no one expects you to do that, but you want to feel a, like a, you're a conqueror, you know? And, and like, you know, that is problematic. And I think it, um, you know, for me, it all, it all comes back to, I wish I would have, I wish somebody, um, would have told me, you know, all this stuff, you know, what yeah. was really interesting. I, I know, I, I know you're about to say something, Erica, but I, it just, it just occurred to me. Dennis Johnson is a current Phoenix suns color commentator. He used to play for the Phoenix suns. And I went to this basketball camp in Kansas. I got invited to it. It was, it was free. It was like, I, it was the first like all American camp that I got invited to. I think there were like, um, a hundred colleges there and like maybe only like 80 guys. So there was like Every guy, everybody there got an offer from somewhere. And uh, you played NBA length games, which is unusual. Like in high school, you play eight minute quarters. NBA quarters are 12 minutes long. So you played 12 minute quarters, two games a day. And then on the off hours, like when you weren't playing games, you had classroom sessions. And one of them was with Dennis Johnson. And he came in and he played 15 years in the NBA. His son was also at the camp. And he was like, How many of you guys? are ladies men and every like you know i would say nine out of ten everybody in this room was start whooping and hollering and goofing off and like all of a sudden that like you know set the tone and he goes okay well whose school has the prettiest girls whooping and hollering and woo and just like cheering and and jeering at each other uh and then he goes i'll stop you right there my school has the prettiest girls. I played in the NBA for 15 years. He's like, let me tell you that I thought when I was in high school that my high school had the prettiest girls. And then I went to college and that was a whole nother level of basketball and a whole nother level of women. And I thought it would never get better than that. And he's like, and then I went to the NBA where I was on the road every day. And after every game, there were the most beautiful women I had ever seen waiting for somebody from my team to talk to them. And he's like, it feels really good at first. And he's like, but you can mess yourself up big time. And it took, it took a conversation from like a really, like this guy had credibility. This guy had exactly what we wanted. He had the, he played at the highest level was considered, you know, he was an all-star at one point. He wasn't an all-time great NBA player, but he was, you know, in the top 200 all time and had what we wanted. And him telling us that he's like, my, my girl, my school has the prettiest girls. And that always stood out to me. And still, like, I still remember it. And I'm kind of like getting goosebumps remembering <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, but, uh, as a 17 year old kid going into my senior year of college in a secular environment, secular being like not at my Christian school with other guys who I respected because they were, you know, as good as me or better. And, you know, very tired, like playing as hard basketball as we could in the middle of the day. I remember those sessions. There was one on, there was one from Dennis Johnson. There was one on meditation and like mental preparation. There was another on manners and like, uh, and like how to set a table. And I remember those sessions better than anything I almost remember in my entire childhood. Um, and I think those types of 
you know, 30 to 40 people in a room with somebody you respect, not in a shameful way, just in like, Hey, I know you guys, I know you love girls. I know you think that you're Mr. Hot shit. Let me tell you what's up. Uh, I think that those conversations, I hope that in the future we do better about having those conversations with young men because they'll make them better partners to women or men or whoever longer term. Agreed. (laughs) Agree completely. I think that it's super important to have those kind of conversations, but then also to have the conversations about like, okay, what to do? Like how, how are you a good partner? How like, Erica and I keep talking about how we're complicated. Like, how do you unravel the complications that is a woman? (laughs) And that's why, and I mean, like, even as a grown man, there's still so much to learn, which is why I recommended that book to you. It's called Come As You Are. Right. I think you bought it too. Um, And like, those things are a good start, but there, it's so, there's so many touch points. It's like, first, you have to understand that, like, yeah, you learn in your, health class or whatever this is the basic anatomy but also that's not the only thing like there is so like everyone's parts can be a little bit different and then like you were like going back to what your dad was saying to you about like porn like porn tells you that parts are supposed to look a certain way and that makes people self-conscious when they don't look that way and that's which then has ripple effects of its own. And then looking at, you know, just like when sex is a secret and then it's, there are certain stigma, like people are on board with it to a certain extent, but then once it goes public, then there are certain stigmas and like, there's so many touch points around sex and masturbation and relationships of all genders. Like there is a lot, a lot of like stigmas, misinformation, um, and just different beliefs, which are fine. You just have to find the people that have the same beliefs as you. But like you can do that without shaming other people. And so I think like conversations like this, and I think I'm totally on board with what you were just saying, like especially if you can somehow facilitate an environment of, listen, you want to be me. I know what you're about. Let me tell you how it really is. And like having a really informative conversation in those environments, it, those are really, really great and impactful ways to start unraveling this very, very complex thing. Well, and we kind of have like a how-to basically on anything you need to do in your whole life. Like you can just Google how to right. install blah, 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 how to paint mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like, okay. And then you Google like how to give oral sex. What's going to come up? Porn. Like, oh, yeah. Why is this not more normal that, you know, we can talk about this without being led to an industry that may give us a false sense of reality about what is really happening? Well, mm-hmm. and I think, too, Erica said th- these words facilitate the environment. Mm-hmm. When you're 17, like, you know, I, I, the further I get away from my teen years, the more I realize like how much information I was probably given, I just wasn't ready for mm-hmm. or like mentally developed enough to understand. Uh, I have a pretty ridiculous sized ego. And when I was 17, it was never bigger than that. Than that. <laughs> and it was very hard to tell me something because I felt that I was too cool and too smart to that, you know, anybody had anything to tell me. And 
that was just hormones really. And just like being young. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's different stages of context in which you're looking for information. Like you said, Mariah, like how to do this. And you still like type of those things into Google. And, you know, if you're 19 years old, probably feel really ashamed about all of it. And you're probably hiding and you wouldn't want your friends to know that. And you wouldn't want your parents to know that. Um, and that's for people who have friends and parents, you know, mm -hmm. and like not everybody has the, you know, I, I often give my parents credit for everything great I've done in my life because I think they, they deserve that. They curated an environment to where I could live the way that I wanted to and do the things that I wanted to do. And not everybody gets that. Uh, and still we didn't get everything right. Oh yeah, you never will. And so yeah, I mean it's just uh it's it's an interesting thing. It's like like most of our big systemic problems, this is one that there isn't one single right way to do it, and there's not an easy way to fix it all at once. Um and you know, I hope that if you know, if I'm in a position where I've got young men under my, you know, under my wing in some sort of coaching or mentoring type scenario, that I try to help build the whole man, not just one specific piece. And part of that is the respect for women and the, you know, creating the space to coexist in a life with a woman or another partner of, of the same sex. Um, and also just to, you know, and then have, you know, space as well for tactical conversations of like how to do something or, hey, coach, I got a question about this. Um, you know, those, those types of kind of third party authoritative relationships are really important, which is why, I, you know, believe in sports, not necessarily so it can teach you about sex, but just so that you have somebody whose responsibility it is for you to develop. Well, yeah. And it takes the heat off of a parent too, to cover mm -hmm. all of those roles. Like if somebody else can step in and be a good role model and a good, I think that's kind of like what Erica and I hope to facilitate through like talking about sex toys or talking about masturbation is like we want a healthy relationship for the next generation to feel comfortable to approach maybe not necessarily their parent, but somebody about that. Mm -hmm. Think about you really lit up on that podcast about sex toys, Mariah, when you mentioned like an older woman in her 40, older 40 in your 40s, it's not older, but a woman in her 40s who had, you know, a complicated relationship with her sex life. And had never experienced yeah. like a sex toy or, you know, felt intimidated by it or whatever. And like, you're able to see the lights come on for that person. Or that she make, had never yeah. had an orgasm. It's like, that's like both heartbreaking, but like incredible to me that like I was able to be part of that. But it's like, it's just like, why did that take you so long? Like, why did you not know that your body was capable of that? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm yeah. friends with a girl um, at work who is um, a member of the Mormon church and she, her and I, I think are like equally fascinated by each other. Like she's fascinated that like, I know what it feels like to have sex with different people other than my husband or like, I know what it feels like to be drunk or to be stoned. Like she is so fascinated by that. And I'm fascinated by like, well, if nobody's ever talked to you about sex before, like, do you know that you've orgasmed? And she's like, well, yeah, like it feels good. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> like, it doesn't just feel good. Like it feels but you know. good. So like, do you know or not? And she's like, well, yeah, I think so. And like, that's just, I understand that like, there's different, there's like way different, so many layers to this of like, 
religion, upbringing, beliefs, cultures, all that good stuff. But like your body is capable of this amazing thing. Like we should know about that. (laughs) Hell yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, just to kind of, I guess, pick that pin back up that we put in earlier, pick that pencil back up that we put in (laughs) earlier. um, You know, I think it was Whitney Cummings was on Joe Rogan recently talking about masturbation. Like with guys, it's like, (laughs) you know, like we're, it's like, it's funny. And we talk about it. It's like more in the culture it's in movies and for women, it's just not as much. And I think that that's, what's interesting about reading that book. Come as you are listening to you guys talk about sex from a woman's perspective, the wealth of amount of resources that we have of women who are sex therapists or just sexual people who are able to articulate their experience and how it's different and how that doesn't mean that it's, you know, it's not in a combative way or this way is better than this way. It's more of just like, Hey, this is what you should know about having sex with a woman and what it's like for them. Um, And those are things I didn't know. And I didn't even find myself particularly drawn to until, you know, I had to make a life with another human and she's a woman and (laughs) It's important that I try to see things from her perspective. <laughs> it's important that she comes. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> it's important to me. Yeah, because he's <laughs> achievement. <laughs> yeah, achievement. Okay, yeah, so it's not about achievement. Though. I have like one more question. I mean, Rob, I feel like there's so much that we can talk about with this that I think that this is going to be like probably in every like so X amount of episodes, like we kind of come on and have you like give us your feedback because I've super enjoyed this. But with the sex toys and, um, like, your desire for achievement and stuff, like, is that intimidating to you that, like, if Erica wants to use a vibrator during or before or after sex or, like, just sex toys in general, I want to know your take on that. I think early on in our relationship when I was younger, if we had just got done having sex and Erica had gone to her closet to her vault her little locked silver box got <laughs> in her vibrator and like started to use it that might have I might have felt shame from that or that I might have felt less than um but women's like sex toys in for me in some ways are exciting we've used women's sex toys in our sex life before mm-hmm. not as like a normal everyday occurrence thing but like every now and then mm-hmm. uh and you know, also not every sex toy is a 12 inch dildo. Right. That's stick, what we that were talking about. the wall. That's what we were talking about before. Like not everything like, you know, has like fucking jackhammer capabilities. Not everything rotates and spins and. Or yeah. Or has like extra arms on it. You yeah. Know, I think the one like it's just they, they look like lipstick. Before charges. our relationship, what was your like impression of sex toys or women using sex toys? Um, I, I knew women and had been with women that had had them. But I mean, like, was there, okay, then fine before then, or like, was there ever, like, did you have a picture in your head of like a certain kind of woman using them or like of, or like sex toys to you meant a certain thing, like a certain kind or. Like only a rotating jackhammering giant (laughs) cock. So like, uh, all right, that's a, I mean, now you're just, you, now you're just saying things to be just, to, just to, just to say them. So, um, I, you know, I watched porn and I, uh, you know, watched girl on girl porn too. So 
I was familiar with some of the some of the arsenal available to ladies in the sex toy department. <laughs> uh, mostly the ones that real women don't use very often, like a double-sided 72-inch dildo with <laughs> uh, with diamonds in, stuck in it, and you know, vi- you know that you know moves like a like a hedge trimmer, you know. <laughs> um, so. I wasn't necessary. I, like I knew that they existed, but you know, shout out to play in skills. The world has too many freaks. I knew that like people have all kinds of ways of getting themselves off. And that was never intimidating to me. And in fact, as a younger person, and like, even when I talked to Erica about it and asked, you know, those like, I remember how those things come up. Like when you're meeting someone and you ask them, like, do you have sex toys? Uh, it's an exciting, it was an exciting thing for me to learn that they did because I am a person who likes sex and to have a partner that also enjoys it was an exciting thing for me. And also like a mandatory, frankly. Agreed. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that that's kind of the new wave, um, like general understanding of sex toys, which I think has changed a lot in the last probably decade or so of how like men understand that they can incorporate it into their relationship and how it's might might be a necessity for one of their partners or you know a lot of women it is a necessity or something extra just other than the two minutes we were referring to earlier is necessary yeah and I mean I think that there's also even recently like I'm still learning a lot more about just the behaviors around women using toys and things like that. It's like, like you guys talked about earlier, sometimes you just need a two minute get off sesh to clear your head and make you feel good. Um, and I honestly think that I said the exact same thing earlier about myself. So it's like, yeah, people are more alike than we give ourselves credit for, even if we have different equipment. Yeah. Or like another fact drop with that is like, so Erica and I were talking the other day, like about periods and like, Oh, like I can tell my period's coming, but I just wish that it would come. And like one of us was like, well, go get your vibrator. Like sometimes that helps us to like not feel as crappy. So it may not even be necessarily that like we're in the mood, but like our body just needs that to happen to like facilitate something. Oh, I get it. When I, if I'm really hungover, nothing brings me like a little <laughs> bit further on than just a quick. Oh my God. Why is that? Like when I'm really hungover, I'm like, I feel awful, but also super horny. <laughs> yeah, always. What always is that? Same. I don't know. It's just your body's like trying to live. It's like, <laughs> we need something. <laughs> Rob's like, on that note, I'm getting you yeah. super drunk tonight. Yeah. <laughs> really bad hangover. Negative. One glass of wine and she'll have a debilitating migraine. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, this has been a long one, but I, I mean, I hope people listening enjoyed this. Um, I think... Brian and I have definitely enjoyed it. I think Rob really enjoyed it. I would like to make this a regular thing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob, Rob loves any opportunity to tell to tell his stories um, and to quote movies. So I think he'll be on board. <laughs> we gave him all the opportunities today. So yeah, I think I really enjoyed it. I think that Rob gives a really interesting and like honest take of you know, a male's perspective. We love hearing what people think about us. So yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me and for giving me space to talk and tell my stories and use my quotes. Absolutely. (laughs) 
And uh, as always, if you guys like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. Go give us a follow on Instagram at likehonestlypod. Uh, tell a friend, you know, all that good stuff. If you're not already following Rob, make sure you go follow him. Rob Howe 21. Don't unfollow me because of this conversation. <laughs> don't unfollow him. He's a human too. If you need to talk about masturbation in a safe space, hit us up in our DMs. <laughs> <laughs> Things might get weird. Not in a creepy space, a safe space. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye.